19, there I am, you could be turning in your Bibles or Bible apps to Revelation 19. <clears throat> Just four more chapters until we are to our destination of the end of the book. Now, what we've seen throughout, John has shared many voices in this vision, and uh, chapter 18 last week was no different. Uh, we first heard the voice of condemnation, if you recall, if you were here, uh, from an angel with great authority, and his message, Babylon has fallen. And by now we know that Babylon represents everything that is quintessentially evil. It is a complete rebellion toward the things of God. And this angel announces the ultimate end for those who have chosen that lifestyle, which is an, an, a lifestyle of idolatry, a lifestyle that worships wealth and stuff and self, a lifestyle that Satan would love each one of us to fall into because he knows that it is ultimately a lifestyle of destruction. A question that I need to often ask myself, are there any idols in my life? Because just like Babylon, they will Fall. We also heard last week the voice of separation, God calling his people to repent, to worship and come out of Babylon. Do not share in her sins so as to not experience the plagues of her judgment. And so even today, God calls us to avoid the sins of idolatry and pride. He calls us to live his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it's been said before, bring up there down here. He calls us to be separate from the world. As citizens of heaven, don't live like this world is your home. Now, that's something that I need to hear frequently, isn't it? As citizens of heaven, don't live like this is my ultimate home. All the stuff that I get so easily caught up in will not last. So don't we know we need to guard our hearts from believing that it will? Uh, next, we heard the voice of lamentation. It was a picture of a thriving ancient city. The collapse of Babylon brings collapse to the world. All who depended on her for wealth and prosperity, they feel sorry for themselves as everything they have lived for slips through their hands. And we see the lifestyle of Babylon brings nothing but regret. Chapter 19 we also heard the voice of celebration as God wraps up human history and ushers in his new heaven and earth. So that's where we start today, chapter 19. If you are able, out of respect for the word of God, please stand as we read the first 10 verses there. <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And again they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, 
and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant. And of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, you may or may not remember from chapter 17, uh, the woman is the harlot here. She's riding the scarlet beast. She represents Babylon. She represents rebellion towards God. So what we see here in chapter 19 is the response to the command that the angel gave to heaven in chapter 18, verse 20. Remember, he said, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and your holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. And in these next two chapters, there are at least five things that will happen at the culmination of time. We don't know exactly when, but we can be sure they will happen. Number one on your outline, heaven will rejoice. Heaven will rejoice. Uh, You may have noticed that word alleluia used several times in these verses. It means praise the Lord. And heaven has good reason to praise the Lord. It's not because of the sinfulness of the world. It's not because of the power of evil. God is the reason for rejoicing. You can write that down. God is the reason for rejoicing. Because through Christ, through the Lamb, God has avenged His people. The next blank on your outline. See, throughout time, Satan's influence over religion and the economy has led many people away from God and persecuted those who knew God. And that will intensify in the last days. God has finally brought vengeance to his enemies. He has put them in their place. He has exercised his authority. He has said, enough is enough. He has emerged victorious over all who were against him. And that is reason to rejoice. Another reason is because of his attributes. Next blank. Because of his attributes. Notice those that are highlighted here. Uh, In verse 1, he is glorious and powerful and worthy of honor. In verse 2, he is true and righteous. His judgments bring himself glory. Heaven rejoices because God reigns. In verse 4, he sits on his throne and no one is able to overthrow him. Because no one is greater. And then verse 6. Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. That word translated as omnipotent is the same word that we've seen before here in Revelation. Translated as almighty earlier in the book. It means uh, the one who holds sway over everything. The ruler of all. And so heaven lifts up this song and says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. The reason for rejoicing is God. 
And so let us be reminded here today that our joy and our rejoicing depend on nothing more than Him. I think many times, myself included, we, we hang... We hang our joy on things that were not meant to be the deciding factor for our joy. Then when it doesn't, doesn't get the results that we wanted, then we live woe is me lives. And as believers, though, we always have reason to choose joy. And that reason is God message of Revelation 19 is God wins, God avenges, God reigns, God holds sway, and He deeply loves each one of us. That truth is enough. I mean, what more could we really want than God deeply loving us? Heaven rejoices because of who God is. Heaven rejoices because all of this truth, the next blank, next blank on your outline, makes his bride ready. Makes his bride ready. 2 Corinthians 11, 2, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, tell us that the bride is the church. Now, there are different views on who exactly the church is. It's another one of those things that there's room for interpretation. We may or may not have the same definition, but we can still be friends. But we know that Jesus is the groom. So that's why when a marriage is done like God designed, it is a picture of the gospel. When it is not done the way God designed, it is not a picture of the gospel. I have done and been in many weddings. Well, we always like to focus on, on the bride when she walks in. I always like to look at the groom when the bride walks in. Just to see his reaction when he sees her the first time. Now, I, I have seen grooms straight up ugly cry. I mean, just bawling because they can't hold it in. And I don't, I don't know that Jesus is going to ugly cry when he sees us one of these days. But my, my goodness, the one... That he laid his life down for. To uh, endure all the pain. To redeem over and over. The one that he has redeemed over and over. And forgiven. The one that he did whatever it took to rescue her. For thousands of years. Over and over and over. All that love. It culminates here at the end of time. And, and church we can make that personal. The love that Jesus has for you. Lay down his life for you, to endure the pain for you, to redeem you over and over and over, to forgive you, to do whatever it took to save and rescue you. All that love culminates here at the end of time. Don't ever forget or be led away from the fact that even on your worst day, Jesus has unfathomable love for you. You. Revelation 19, his bride is ready, and all of heaven says, Let us be glad and rejoice. Verse 7, give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. 
for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. See, church, this is the reality. It has been granted to his bride to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. And I'm not so sure that we would describe ourselves as fine, clean, and bright many times. But this is, this is the truth. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, you know the darkness of your heart. You know what you've done behind closed doors. You know what is in your bag of regrets. You know all your shame despite all of that. He has granted you to be presented, arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. This is the doctrine of propitiation. Say that with me. The doctrine of propitiation. Where where Jesus took all my darkness and all my sin and all my shame, all the things that would make me exactly the opposite of fine, clean and bright. He took that upon himself on the cross And he has allowed us, he's allowed me to put on his righteousness. We essentially traded coats when I surrendered my life to him. And now when God the Father looks at me, he doesn't see all my filthy wretchedness. He sees the righteousness of his son. Jesus is the only one that makes any of our acts righteous. That's why heaven rejoices. Look at verse 9. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you don't do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now right there in verse 9 is the first of two suppers in chapter 19. And this one is a time of rejoicing. Because of God, because of what he does, because of who he is, because the bride is ready. Now, I, I, I see these two suppers corresponding with two different judgments. You can write that down. Two different judgments that the word speaks of. The judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. Now, judgment is used in two different ways in the Word of God. One, to give out rewards. Another, to condemn. So there are two different judgments, two different suppers. Uh, One, to give rewards. One, to condemn. The judgment of the saints, those who know Jesus, will be to give out rewards. This is the judgment seat of Christ spoken of in 2 Corinthians 5.10. And so speaking to believers, Paul wrote this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, while there is room for interpretation, many scholars agree, whenever the church is taken away, we will go before the judgment seat of Christ to account for everything we did in this life. Those works done for God will survive Those works not done for God will be rendered useless. They will burn up to nothing. And we will receive rewards for what we have done for God. And at least some of which, those will be crowns that we will lay at the feet of Jesus in worship because he is the only one worthy. This is where Jesus finally takes away every spot, every wrinkle, every blemish, and presents his his bride 
clean and bright. A chaste virgin, as 2 Corinthians 11 speaks of. Now when this is complete, the church will return to earth to close out the tribulation and reign with Jesus 1,000 years. So many equate the marriage supper of the Lamb with the 1,000-year millennial reign. We'll see more about that hopefully next week in chapter 20. Now, we need not worry about not making it through this judgment. Because this judgment is for believers. You can write that down. This is for believers. This is for rewards. There is no question of salvation here. But the other form of judgment is for condemnation. And this is the great white throne judgment that we'll see in chapter 20. This is not for believers, it's for unbelievers. It's for those who have rejected the gospel of Jesus and adopted the lifestyle of Babylon. Babylon's fate is their fate. This is what makes verse 9 so incredible and true. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Are you with me this morning? Quite an understatement, isn't it? As, as you can see, uh, there is a whole lot going on in those first 10 verses of chapter 19. But what we can see is heaven will rejoice. Secondly, Christ will return. Continue in verse 11. Uh, now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus will return. I count at least 11 different descriptions of him in these verses that we've just read. And just like we saw in chapter 4, this Jesus is no baby in a manger. This Jesus is no lowly carpenter or man on a cross. This Jesus is not the Jesus that has been discarded by the Romans to an empty, borrowed tomb. This is the resurrected and triumphant Jesus. Notice how he is described. Faithful and true. Words that mean he can be relied on, he is trustworthy, and he is real and genuine in every respect. This Jesus has eyes like fire. It means that nothing is hidden from his sight. He has many crowns on his head, too many to count. This Jesus judges and makes war in righteousness. It's a word that means pure and, and, and virtuous in thinking, acting, and feeling. This Jesus is the Word of God, the same Word that became flesh so that God could communicate the best way possible His love for mankind. This Jesus has a sword proceeding from His mouth, and that represents the directness and truth of what He says. 
It pierces deeply into our hearts and tells us that he can merely speak his enemies into defeat. This Jesus will rule the nations with a rod of iron that cannot be broken or taken away. This Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is sovereign over all the earth. This is the Jesus who will one day return in all his glory with an army of angels and saints. But they need not fight because not only will Jesus return, number three on your outline, he will defeat his enemies. This Jesus will defeat his enemies. Verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. So right there, this is the second supper in this chapter. We have the marriage supper of the Lamb and the supper of the great God. And so this could possibly be des- describing the great white throne judgment we'll see next week in chapter 20. Continues, come and gather for the supper of the great God. Verse 18, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast. The king of the earth, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the, on the horse and, and against his army. And then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the throne and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So what we see here is the battle of Armageddon. It turns out that Satan has picked a fight with the only one who can speak his enemies into defeat. There has never been a more one-sided battle than right here. Notice the beast. We've identified him as the Antichrist. The false prophet is here also. The counterfeit Holy Spirit. They're both cast alive into the lake of fire. The final and permanent place of eternal torment for all who reject Christ. Now there are many passages of scripture that have an already and not yet part of them. And that some parts of them have already been fulfilled but we're still waiting on some of them. One such passage is Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. The already part is in verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But here's the not yet part of the prophecy in verse 7. It will be finally fulfilled in Revelation 19. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. One of these days, when God says it's time, this will be fulfilled. As we begin to close the message here today. 
message of chapter 19 is one of, of victory. Heaven will rejoice. Will you be a part of that? Jesus will return. Will you be ready for that? Jesus will defeat his enemies. And if you know that you are a part of that group because you do not know him as king of kings and lord of lords of your life, our gracious God offers you the free gift of life today. Simply acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a savior. Agree with him that Jesus is who he says he is, the one and only son of God, the victorious Christ that we see here in Revelation. Agree that you are who he says you are, a sinner in need of a Savior, and invite him into your heart. Church, if you, if you do know him, let's just take a moment during this time of invitation to consider, what if we didn't? Think about that for just a, just a moment. What if we didn't? What if the mercy of God never given to us? What if, what if you never heard the gospel message? What if, what if the message of hope never connected with your heart? What if you didn't have that living hope that we sang about today? What if, what if we were hopeless and without Christ? I think many of us just, we, we, we kind of take it for granted and we forget the gravity of what Jesus has done. You know, um, many of us are blessed to have kids and parents and family who know the Lord. What if they didn't? What if they didn't? So many times, for those of us who have been believers for such a long time, we lose the awe and wonder that comes with salvation. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of the mercy of God. He would send Jesus, his son, to take my place. We go into a time of invitation. I, I invite you to, to worship this great God who is worthy. If you have kids or parents or family or friends that don't know him, I want to invite you to come to this altar. We know that the Lord hears us wherever we are. But there is just something about an old-fashioned altar. Sometimes we just need to come and, and just lay it all out. Leave it here. Uh, this, this song that we're about to share with you, it's just called The Mercy of God. Brian, did you have something you wanted to say about it?